Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker. Reynolds, Georgia has always been a very small town. But in my mind and in my heart, when I look back, Reynolds was very big. It was big because of the special people who lived there. And it was big because of how those special people influenced my life. When I was growing up in the early 60s, everyone was raised by the whole town. If you got a spanking at school, you would get a whooping when you got home. There is a difference between a spanking and a whooping. It was not unusual to get disciplined by your buddy's mama either. If not, she would surely call your mama when you did something wrong. And your mama would be waiting at the door to tend to you when you got home. A little boy just could not get by being bad in rentals. There's just something special about growing up in a small town. Many of you can relate. Our lives revolved around church, school, sports, and civic activities. When I say everyone knew each other, everyone really knew each other. The community was made up of people from all walks of life. Most people today hang around people who are just like themselves. We live in neighborhoods where everyone is on the same step of the economic ladder. We attend churches and social events where we find people who are just like us. This was not the case growing up in rentals. People from different economic and social positions in life joined together to form a community. All the community was family, no matter which side of the tracks they came from or what kind of house they lived in, or what kind of car they drove. From my era, all the people who grew up there have one thing in common. We have rentals in common. We were all raised by that little town, and we have been, and we will be, friends forever. Although I moved from rentals 19 years ago, it is home. It will always be home. When I drive into town, I'm always flooded with many memories. I have memories of people who helped form my life. I can look at each storefront and think of the person who ran it and my interactions with them. I remember when Reynolds was a bustling and busy town and so full of life and characters. Thankfully, there's a great core of people still in Reynolds who have worked hard and continue to work hard to keep it clean and beautiful, and they're doing everything possible to give it life but to be honest for us who grew up there doing its best years it's a bit depressing it's not anyone's fault but for many obvious reasons small towns in america are a dying breed we know rentals like many other small towns will never be like it was during its heyday i understand that a couple of years ago i started noticing a young man who grew up in rentals, who I hardly remembered when I lived there. He was only 15 years old when we moved. I certainly knew his family well, but he was a young kid. It was obvious Jamie Whitley was crazy talented. He was making a living in the graphic design business. Due to the internet, he was noticed by people who had never heard of rentals, and he began doing business with people from all over the country. He was very successful. I also noticed Jamie had a real interest in the history of rentals. 
and felt a real connection to its past. That caught my attention. Most people his age don't give two hoots about the history of their town, and I certainly didn't when I was 34 years old. Jamie and I started a Facebook page called Old Rentals. We both began doing a lot of research on people from the past in rentals and the businesses that thrive there. And we began sharing stories and photos of people long ago. The page began to grow. There are now over 1,100 members on that Facebook page. Many have shared stories in their own photos. For us who grew up there, the page has been priceless. As Jamie continued his research and his connection to the past, he came up with an idea to bring new life for this small town. I, for one, think he is on to something. If I can do anything to help him, even like dedicating a podcast episode to his endeavor, I am all in. Jamie Whitley is my guest today. Jamie's got a lot going on in Reynolds. He's a unique individual. He's very talented and gifted individual. I'm glad to know him. He's doing some things that I think anybody within the sound of my voice can learn from. Uh, so, Jamie, are you able to hear me? Can you hear me? I am. I can hear you well. Thanks Good. for having me, Bruce. Yeah, well, thank you for being on here. I appreciate you jumping on. First, let's just talk about you. And you grew up in this little town of Reynolds, Georgia, that's a little small town, and you're still there at 34 years old. You just talk about your affinity for Reynolds, what you're doing in Reynolds with your talent. Yeah, so basically I was born and raised in Reynolds, and I lived over on Calhoun Street. I mean, my neighbors were Hazel Lane and Neil Hinton and Dan Hinton and Virginia and Van Livingston, and the Waltons lived across the street. I mean, there was a, a lot of really good people right there in the neighborhood that was a big influence on my life early on. And, you know, seeing these people and their passion for where they lived and, you know, growing up with the older people. I mean, it just gave me a love for being from Reynolds and love for my community and the people there. And, and also my passion has basically been just trying to get something going here again, because good as I do, small towns like this are really struggling to survive because you have your Walmarts and targets and all that, where everybody's going and they're leaving their small towns to, to go shop other places. So right. my goal here is to really try to get some business back to Reynolds and get some life back in the community. There's a lot of small towns like Reynolds that can hear this story because when I was in business there in the 70s and 80s personally, 90s to late 90s, I experienced the same thing. It's not to where it is today, but sure. all, all of a sudden, before people were shopping locally, and then they were going to Fort Valley to bigger stores or then to Macon, to Walmart. And you saw the little stores struggling. But there was a time in the history of this town when it was a lot going. It was booming. And there were a lot yeah. of great families there. There were a lot of great businesses there. And they all survived for many years up until the de Depression. And then it took a while, maybe close to the war, and it started booming again. And, and it sure. became – it was probably better the second time around than it was in the early 1900s, just the quality of people and the businesses and the stores that were there. But it is the demise of small-town America. And for somebody with your talent to have a passion to be there and attempt to do something is pretty cool from my perspective because, obviously, I moved away, but I never left Reynolds. Reynolds is home to me, and I love the fact that 
you're you're there and and you're trying to do something and what you want to hear it could be nobody can we don't have a crystal ball but it could be incredible what what you're doing so i know when you started looking back you had your grandmother miss louise king that knew everybody in reynolds and every connection in reynolds and i know she was a huge source to your passion for for the history am i right i'm guessing that you didn't tell me that but i assume that yeah that's exactly right and you know i i spent so much time with her growing up i mean we lived next door to my grandparents so they were always there i was always at her house and she would her and my grandpa they would always both tell me stories about how things were and you know just tell me what they've lived through and because to us it's history but to them it was their life they actually right. lived all this and saw these things that you know we research and look back on so it was just neat being able to sit there and listen to her tell the stories of all the things she did. I mean, for example, she worked at the Grand Theater in Reynolds with Miss Corrine Hobbs. And when they were, when they started working there, one of the, I guess the owner, whoever it was at the time, gave them both the nickname Sappy. And I guess for whatever reason, they looked sappy that day. I'm not sure what it was, but until the day my grandma died, she would call every day and talk to Sappy, Miss Corrine Hobbs, and that's what she called her. And they lived right right across the street, catty corner across the street from each other for years right. and years and years. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So she not only did you, you get a look into the history, but you were able to have to know all the connections, the family connections in rentals that most people don't realize. I I had a great perspective being in the funeral business. And I knew the connections because I had funerals for all these people. I knew what the connections were, but most people didn't know that. And part of that is, I think, has also been part of your thirst because you knew the connections. I mean, you realized at some point that you were kin to Cindy Bryan and Teeny and all that family. You were related to Roy Jones, who was one of the greatest people that came out of there. I mean, you, you had these connections, and so you saw things through your grandmother, Miss Louise, that many people probably missed. Right. That's right. And, you know, I've always been very inquisitive. I mean, I want to ask questions and find out why things are the way they are. And, you know, when I started finding out I was related to certain people, I wanted to know more about their lives and how we were related and how the, how we became related and, you know, everything. I just yeah. wanted to know as much as I possibly could about every aspect of it. Well, it has served you well and People my age are loving what all the research you've done, and it makes us go research. It's important to be connected to the history, not to live in the past, but it sure does give you leverage and a vault to the future. If you can learn from the past and understand it, I believe one of the keys to success in life. So I'm sure people are wondering, what in the heck are you doing there now to make a living? Your business is branching out. You're doing stuff all over the country. So talk about that a little bit. Exactly. So past 15 or so years, I've been in the graphic design business. I've done country music album covers and logos for businesses all over the country. About three years ago, I actually got into the sign business and I've been doing that ever since. So, I mean, I make logos and print and signs and everything else like that. Did you go to school for that or you just learned that? What's your background? Well, I guess I got all my creative talent from my mom. That's and, true. But other, yeah. But other than that, I mean, I don't don't have any professional schooling in any of it. So, right. but you're so good at it. And so, how well, can people you. find 
your work? What website can they go to just to see what you do there? So it's Whitley Design Co, C-O as in company, dot com. Yeah, and so you will see he makes stuff for Savannah, and I thought something, didn't I see something in Vegas you were doing or something like that? That's right. There's several restaurants out in Vegas that I've done all their logos and branding and all of that stuff. How did they find you, just out of curiosity? So I was doing a good bit of work up in Nashville for the country music industry. And one of the guys that owns a bunch of restaurants and bars in Nashville, he was branching out. He has locations in Belize, Vegas, New York, and all over. And I do all of his stuff. So that brings me to the next question. How'd you get hooked up in Nashville? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) So basically doing, you know, doing artwork for, radio stations and things like that it just kind of branched out and started doing some work for jason aldean here and there and you know all of his the people he deals with and his label and you know just and stuff like that and it just kind of branched out into bigger things wow what a what a story in itself without getting into what we're here to talk about i mean you you're obviously talented your mother was an artist and or is an artist right carol of course i've known her all my life and uh but you you definitely got that gene going on. There's no question about it. You do a lot of research into the history. So how did you start really getting into the research piece of this? How long have you been doing that? Probably 10 years or so where I've really started just digging into history and just trying to find out what, when, and why. I mean, my whole life I've loved history. I mean, one of my best subjects in school was history. But I was always more into history itself, the wars and civil war, you know, all that kind of stuff. And within the past 10 years, I guess it's really started turning into figuring out more about Reynolds and where we come from and why we are the way we are and why buildings look the way they look, you know, that, that right. sort of thing. And how do what you're learning, how does it motivate you to do the stuff you're doing that we're you're about to, let's just talk about it just a minute so we can get that out on the table. You're about to open a new business there that, will be resurrecting a business that died during the Great Depression, a big business in Reynolds called the Reynolds Mercantile Company. Uh, we'll talk about the, your connection to that in a minute, but that's where you're going and, and you're, you're about to start that. And that's what got us on this podcast today. How does the past motivate you? It may be a difficult question, but how does it inspire you or motivate you to do these kind of things like branching out and opening up a store that's never been done in Reynolds, trying to revitalize the town, I guess. Right. That's a good question. I mean, you know, seeing the history and seeing how things once were, I mean, Reynolds is a special place, always has been. But like we mentioned earlier, it was a booming place at one time, not a Macon or Columbus, but it was a booming place. Everybody knew everybody. I mean, and knowing about our history just makes me want to live it again, just right. relive it and make Reynolds back the way it was, right. I guess for a lack of better terms. Right. Well, let's go back then. And how did you get interested in this uh, Reynolds mercantile business? So when I found out, you know, my relation to the Bryans and I started digging down that path and trying to figure out who everybody was and, how, how I was related and this and that. And then I started digging into the lives of each individual person that I was related to there. And I found that J.M. Bryan, which is my great, great grand uncle, 
It's what Ancestry says we're listed right. as. I found that he had a mercantile store here in town, and he had he was in partnership with another guy, J.J. Ruffin, initially, and then Ruffin retired, I suppose, and Brian took over, and it was a J.M. Bryan company for quite a while. And as you know, he had the first brick building in town, or I guess actually the county. Right, that's true. It was so, the first one, first private privately built brick building in the county yeah and the county was like almost 40 years old when it was built right that's right and that's neat and you know he he was an entrepreneur and i just thought i mean we're very similar in that aspect i mean i really enjoy business and i like trying to create things and I, you know he brought businesses to town and provided things for people and provide them a place to shop and and all that and i just really found a connection there right Interestingly, recently, in when you were almost getting ready to put this together, you dug into something and found something entirely new about the Reynolds Mercantile Company that you didn't know. Even after you were planning this and you'd already put stuff out, you started realizing that they combined the business. And that was really just not long ago, right? I didn't know that's, it. I didn't know it either. That's right. I, you know, I I think we had spoke on the Reynolds, old Reynolds page on Facebook before about trying to figure out where – J.M. Bryan and company actually was located because when the train exploded, the head landed on the roof of Jacob Bryan's store. Right. And I know we were digging around trying to figure out exactly which building that was. And let's explain that just so you guys know, we, we have an old Reynolds Facebook page where we have done a lot of work and we do it. Jamie and I kind of headed up and there's a lot of people involved in over a thousand, probably 1200 people that that read the stuff or post stuff and old pictures and old history. But one of the craziest stories that ever you ever heard was a boiler blew up in the central Georgia railroad and literally blew the man's head off. I actually had heard that story. I wasn't sure I believed it until I started looking at old papers and realized they actually delivered the head later to Macon for the funeral. I read that in the paper. So the head was found in a building across the street from the railroad, which was J.N. Bryan's store. And, I, you know, they actually discovered it because I guess it hit a, what's it called, a sunlight in the roof. It right. hit a, a window in the roof, and it was leaking up there. So that's how they discovered the head on the roof. But, you know, I, and we were trying to figure out exactly where that was. When I started digging around, and I figured out that the two businesses were combined from the Ricks brothers and J.M. Bryan and company. I guess they both saw the need for a bigger store and saw that both of their spaces put together would make a huge store and be a, a department yeah. store. So, so J.M. Bryan built that store in, what was it, 1894 or one or something, right? 1893, four, somewhere in there. Oh, yeah, I right. can't remember that. But anyway, he built that new brick building. And then in literally about 20 years later in 1911 the ricks brothers built a huge brick building that was a cotton warehouse and also a general merchandise store and even had a garage in the back inside the building which was pretty unheard of and so you had these two big brick buildings side by side and then the jn Bryan, who was your relative and ancestor mm -hmm. and the ricks brothers had this great idea and you discovered how that came about recently. So let's, let's talk about that just a minute. Right. So I basically I found it from digging through the Butler Heralds of that era. 
and you know just all of the legal notices where they came together to form, to announce the formation of the businesses and it told you know as you read on that they brought in an architect to reface the building so it would look more like one building and i know you showed that in a picture on your post on facebook that you could see the building was the same even though now they're painted as two separate buildings right yeah and i never noticed that in fact i've always wondered where the ricks brothers building was because i've seen that big beautiful building but i never understood where i had it on the other side of that block just because of another article i read i didn't have any proof of it but to see that's where it is it it makes sense they were the interesting thing about that when these two people the brothers and mr brian got together that they they came up with a unique concept for 1913 they issued stock they issued forty thousand dollars in stock at a hundred dollars a share which in today's dollars is about 1.2 million dollars and then 10 years later they went back and issued more stock with another i forgot what it was twenty thousand shares or something i think it was twenty five thousand twenty five thousand more shares another four or five hundred thousand dollars so they had in 10 years they had about 1.6 million in this building in rentals but (laughs) so it was it was going it was running and going and they they figured out that in a small town if you get the prominent people as stockholders then not only do you raise capital but you get customers you know those people are going to shop there when they got the money invested in it so sure, it, everyone it, has a vested interest at that point. Yeah, and then they even increased it with $50 a share at the second offering. So you got more customers. So they had a good thing going. It was called Reynolds Mercantile Company. And I don't think there couldn't have been anything like it anywhere close. That was a big store. They became a department store, which literally you see them now everywhere, like Sears used to be. You, you know, got appliances one place and furniture one place. That's kind of the way that was. It, in fact, it wasn't kind. It's the way it was. And that was unusual in in town but in 1929 we all know in october the stock market crashed and i think i'll let you pick it up from there as what happened yeah like in 1929 when the market crashed several businesses around town failed and and from my research reynolds mercantile company survived until what 32 or 33 until they finally folded right and and the banks failed there were three or four banks in town then and the bank that they were using, in fact, most of the officers of Reynolds Mercantile Company were officers of the First National Bank. The bank failed as well, so they had a mess. Interestingly, and I can't help but think about this, my grandfather was in business during all that, and so he was he survived the Depression. He was in competition with this new business that had to be hurting him big time, but I also know throughout the years, he was best friends with the Bryans and the Rickses and all those people. And you can't help but think about the dynamics of that. And I'll tell you a story that actually my brother George reminded me of years ago. And it's kind of how a small town works and probably how the real world should work everywhere. But later, after this Reynolds Mercantile went, went busted, Mr. Altman bought that store and he bought his grocery store. He was already in business, but he brought the grocery store into that, that first Ricks brothers building. And so eventually his son was running it, Bobby Altman and my dad, Ed Goddard was running it. And we were competitors. 
And I know that we looked over there at lunch to see who was shopping at that store. And I know the Altmans looked to see who was shopping at that store. I'd have my feelings hurt if I go spend a night with somebody and I saw an Altman's grocery sack in their house. And, you know, that's you live in a small town when you know everybody and you compete. It's an interesting dynamic. But I learned a very important lesson, again, that my brother reminded me of is one when I was this had to be in the 60s, probably early middle 60s. We're working in the meat market at our grocery store. And we're really busy in the meat market. And it was a busy day on a Saturday. And we were about to run out of chickens. And my brother and I had talked to each other. We had chickens on sale, like probably 19 cents a pound back then. And we said, we are we don't have enough chickens. We're going to run out and we're going to have some irate customers because they know these chickens on sale. They come in this afternoon going to want chickens and we're not going to have them. So we had talked about that. We didn't have a chance to say anything to Daddy about that, but we were talking about we're going to have some people mad with us. And somewhere in an hour or so, Daddy walked back and said, how many, how many boxes of chickens we got? And we said, Daddy, uh, we had maybe four boxes of chickens, and we're going to run out, and we're going to have some people mad. He said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Bobby Altman just called me, and he's completely out of chickens. So we're going to let him have two of our cases of chickens. I said, Daddy, you mean to tell me that I mean, that's his fault? That's not our fault. We got at least four boxes. Uh, we're going to make people mad. And i never forget, he said, son, there may be times that we're out of chickens and we're going to need Bobby to lend them to us. So I learned a great lesson, and that's kind of probably the competitive atmosphere or environment in that town. They were competitors, but they supported each other because they knew that those other businesses in town were essential for the survival of rentals. Somehow, my grandfather survived that. I've looked at the Depression. I've looked at all the papers. He had help from a friend, Freeman Hart in Macon, whose Hart's mortuary is well known. They were great friends, and I know he bailed him out. I know he gave him some money or lent him some money that he paid back later, and my granddaddy was forever grateful for that. But he, he survived it, and we ended up having a business that was 1866 to – whenever I sold it, 1998, whatever that is. That's so, a long time. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And so I think that's that's why I'm very excited about what you're doing, and that's why I'm very excited about helping you do anything to promote what you're doing in the Reynolds Mercantile business. I, I want to see uh, anything that can be positive for that town. I'm, I would love to see it happen. So you were not able to obtain the original two buildings and put them together. We won't get into that. That'd be impossible. You, you bought another building, and tell us what you're doing there. Tell us what you're trying to create and, and when you're planning on opening. Well, right now our plan is to open for the Strawberry Festival weekend, which is April 22nd. Our plan is to open there. The building is the old Reynolds Pharmacy building where Leonard Watley had his pharmacy, not where it is in its current location. Right. And we're doing a bunch of remodeling and refacing of the building and all. What are you going to be selling? So talk about what you're, what you're doing. So we're going to have a bunch of locally sourced things, locally sourced meat, vegetables, you know, things that people would go to their general store and get back in the day. We'll have syrup and grits and 99% of it will be locally made stuff. People, not necessarily in our county or our town, but, you know, Georgia made products and, and things like that. Right. And you're going to have clothing line or something, right? We will. So we'll have button-ups, polos, pants, socks, unmentionables, right. <laughs> boxers, and 
belts and wallets and everything. And, and every bit of it will be manufactured, especially for us. And it'll have our label, our tag, and everything in it. It's going to be kind of like when people come in, they'll be like going back in time a little bit is what you tried to create, right? It, definitely, because all of our store fixtures are from the time when the original Reynolds Mercantile Company was in existence. I mean, we have the original pharmacy cabinet that was in Mr. Clay Watley's pharmacy. We have that cabinet that a friend of mine completely refurbished. We have cabinets that came out of the Souter building, which is the pharmacy now. We have all those original cabinets in there, glass oak displays. I mean, everything. So it'll look like a general store in the early 1900s when you come in. Did, did I see a picture? Are you going to have a soda fountain or something similar to that in there or not? So we won't be able to have the soda fountain. It was sold off years ago, so it's not there any longer. But we will have a Coke box that you can come in and get bottle Cokes and right. all that. That's good. Well, uh, the, and I saw you're going to have meat. Are you going to be cutting meat there? Are you going to have a butcher there? Or how are you going to do that? So what we're going to be doing initially is we'll be selling pre-cut and pre-packaged meat, but it's cut locally. It's cut by a USDA-approved butcher, and we'll be selling in our coolers there. So okay. it'll be fresh meat, but we're not cutting it in-house just because of the regulations and red tape you have to jump through to get it all approved. But if we see the need for it in the future, we will move in that direction. So talk about your grand opening. What, what are you planning on doing? There'll be a lot of people in town for the Strawberry Festival. Are you thinking about doing the grand opening before that or actually that weekend of the Strawberry Festival? What are you thinking? Well, you know, the plan initially was to have the grand opening the weekend before because I was hoping to get, you know, the crowd that would come to the grand opening. And then the next weekend we had the Strawberry Festival and get that crowd too, obviously. But sitting down looking at the calendar, Easter weekend's the weekend before. So that's probably not the best time to do it. So I think we're just going to move it until to the Friday night before the Strawberry Fest Festival. What are you planning on doing for the grand opening? We're going to just have an event, just have people come. We're going to cook, you know, different types of meat and just let people sample all the things that we're going to have. Maybe a few speakers, maybe we can get you to come over and say a few words for us and tell us how you remember the town being at one time and, you know, just have people gather and get together and talk and tell mm -hmm. lies and stories and everything else. That's awesome. Well, we need to promote it and and get people coming for sure. I think we can. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And I know that the people want to support what you're doing. What is your vision? My vision is just to bring back small town life, small town shopping, shopping local, the made in the USA vision. That's basically what I have. Just Let's support each other. Let's, you know, go back to our communities. Let's have self-reliant communities just that we don't have to, not that it's a bad thing, go to another city to shop, but if we need to go to town and get something, we should be able to do it. I think you mentioned to me that, that one thing would be if this did well, you could open up other Reynolds Mercantile stores in other places. That's one thing that at least you've got in your head, right? Initially, I want to see this one do well, just for our community. But if this one does really well, I mean, I would like to see other ones in other communities mm -hmm. like ours. Not go to any big cities, just go to cities that have the need for this type of thing. So most everybody's listening have been to these little towns where somebody did something like this. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, we got people here that we hadn't had before. We need a little ice cream shop over here, or we need a coffee shop, or we need a little quaint bookstore, or we need a little museum. And then 
all of a sudden the town becomes a like a destination town for people to get away from the city to stroll and to reminisce and look at history and eat an ice cream cone and shop at the little stores. I know my wife and I were in Texas a few months ago and went to, I think it's Groon, right outside of New Braunfels, Texas, population 25. I couldn't believe how many people were in that town. Just town one time that was booming before the Depression, but it's nothing. It's got 20 people lives there. they got a big restaurant now, in a, like in a cotton gin, but they got these little stores similar to what you're talking about. It's like walking back in time when you walk in the stores, and that was a big grass parking lot, and you couldn't even find a place to park hardly. And people were everywhere on the streets. And I was asking Kathy, what is everybody here for? We came there to eat because we heard about this great restaurant called the Grist Mill. And that's why we were there. But we walked around. What in the world is going on here? They had a little dance hall, and it, it was absolutely incredible. So who knows what something like this can do and what I think everybody that knows you knows that if anybody can make this happen so that other stuff could happen for rentals, it would be you. you you've got the understanding of the past. You're connected to the past. You're motivated to make it better. And I think this may be the key to making rentals a special place, uh, even more special than it is now. I sure hope so. I mean, back to where you're talking about Groon, Texas. I've never been there. I've heard of it. I had no idea the population was 25, but where I've always heard of it was Groon Hall, which is a huge music venue. Right. And country music legends and every, I mean, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams, everybody played there. It surprises me to hear the population because I've heard of it just from that. So I guess that shows that, you know, one thing can start uh, following in an area. So hopefully this will be the thing that you know, other businesses start coming in. I mean, ours is not even open yet. We already have a boutique moving in two doors down and there's already talk. I hear about maybe an ice cream and coffee shop coming to town right. in the next couple of months. So, well, you, you I think never we're know. In the right direction. Yeah. You never know. And it's exciting. And I'm, I'm excited for you. And yeah, Groon is known originally for the, either the first or one of the first big, country music venues and dance halls in texas and mm -hmm. back when it was booming that's what was going on but now it's just it's part of new Braunfels. it's just out in the middle of nowhere but nobody lives there it's just where people come it's it's a it's a destination town and i, think, I guess it's like potterville to reynolds you have your <laughs> yeah. just picked it up yeah, little, new Braunfels is a little bigger than reynolds <laughs> but yeah so anyway I don't. Well, what else have you got to say to people about small town America? It always bothers me because some of the greatest people that did the most in our country came from little small towns, and there's a, something about the fabric of a small town that has contributed greatly to our country. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, you can see the people that have come from Reynolds and Reynolds High School. I mean, the extraordinary things they've done. I mean, you spoke on it numerous times. The heart surgeons and brain surgeons and all the famous people that have come from Reynolds, you know, and small communities have something to offer. I mean, basically you, you can be proud of where you're from. You can work hard to get, you know, do better and make your community better. I think the demise of small towns would be horrible for our society. I mean, you see now, especially since COVID, 
there's so many people moving back to small towns. You see this resurgence of small businesses and people wanting to be in these smaller communities and this, you know, being relied on your area and that sort of thing. I mean, I think it's a great thing. I know everybody listening to this wishes you the absolute best, not only the people that grew up or have connections to rentals, but everybody listening to this would love to see how this turns out. I, I can't wait to see what you do over there. You're a talented guy, Thank man. You. I appreciate you being on. Appreciate you having a conversation, and I'll be seeing you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Right. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, man. Viewing life from a hearse, it could be worse. Laugh, think, and cry with the country undertaker.